Trust for You by Irving Philip Eugene. Chapter 1 Attraction. Imagine a serene setting in the British Isles, foggy and fueled by capitalism, sophisticated in culture but gritty in entrepreneurship, a London fantasy where creators like the Beatles, Ed Sheeran, Adele, and the like developed, a nobody connected to the machine with the combination of talent and serendipity to perform for the world. Here stands Jason Black, a young boy who wanted opportunity. He would play his melodic guitar strings and provide simple yet meaningful vocals outside while recording on TikTok. The hope was to catch the eye of someone substantial. This was the modern era of streams and videos. You have to put yourself out there constantly to capture the hearts and minds of fans. Jason Black would sing tracks of melancholy and inspiration. His hit single, Always Hold You, from basic production went viral. He released small creations consistently to support his single mother and family. For a whole year, he would publish a song a week. He was hungry for attention and success. Luckily, his music was popular. Jason formed a connection with Frankie Brand, who was a promoter and media mogul. He offered Jason a music deal with production, publishing, and distribution. This was his ticket out of the slums of Britain. Frank was unaware of the conditions that Jason was living in. Jason came from a broken home, a father who was a failed musician, a mother who worked several meager jobs to support her son. Jason smoked marijuana and had no guidance. He was a troublemaker who lashed out to deal with his circumstance. Jason had a good heart but was a lost soul. He was unaware of how his life was going to change. There was a press release for his contract with Columbia Records and Brands Media Group. It made front page news. The notoriety was outstanding. The name and face of Jason Black was worldwide, from an apartment complex to planes, trains, and automobiles. This was the beginning of a new era. Chapter 2 Fame Jason Black had to start recording his first studio album, make guest appearances on television, and prepare for touring. He was accepted as a social media influencer and artist. Jason collaborated with famous musicians like Kanye West and Justin Bieber. They were his idols and he trusted their expertise. Black wanted to display advanced sonics in production like Kanye and mainstream melodic appeal depicted by Bieber. With newfound fame and acclaim, he was able to visit the Wyoming campus. Jason was a student and learned. Mr. West offered collaboration with valuable input. They roamed the natural terrain of middle America for inspiration. Exploring the compound with advanced tools, observing magnificent art, and spending time with his infamous family. This setting was different from urban United Kingdom, but Jason was entertained and accepted this new form of life. The Wild West of the United States was only mentioned as stories in Europe, and only few braved the travel to the New World. Black was fascinated with the ideas of freedom and ambition. He recalled memories of watching Kanye on YouTube as he created musical beats and rhythms in minutes. There was a caliber of talent. Black sought mentorship and would hone his own skills of production. There was always places to go and people to see. Next, Black set his goals on connecting with Bieber in Toronto, Canada. Justin emphasized working at your own pace as he felt in the past, he crashed due to unrelenting circumstances of performing around the world. Bieber advised Jason to live his life with purpose and enjoyment. The understanding was to build a team to allocate time for developing lyrics, music production, and enhancing the studio experience. Black realized one does not travel far alone on foot. Jason decided to follow in Justin's footsteps of a strong social media presence and producing creative merchandise to sell with music. They reached out to their fans personally of their friendship and communication. This resulted in even greater frenzy of attention on Black. 
He announced a fantastic campaign across the United States would be coming soon this year live on Instagram. It was time for Jason Black to circulate through the radio stations and interviews in the media. This process was organized by his record label in Brandy, Frank Brand. First stop was The Breakfast Club. The club has a strong reach on the culture and is nationally syndicated. Charlemagne the God provided eccentric humor and daring questions that draw the audience. The other members of the group provide thoughtful insight and mediate intriguing dialogue. The first observation by Charlemagne in a joking manner was, How do you like New York? The food is better than fish and chips, right? Black laughed and stated in a British accent, I'm looking for some great soul food. You Americans have such diverse and excellent food. The interview was about the release of the album, My Life. It would be a creative world of songs and imagination. He explained certain aspects of the music like themes of fantasy alongside party attractions. They played a track, Universe. It was outstanding. The interviewers rated it well. They asked questions about his upbringing, what it was like to provide for his family. With his dad being in and out of his life, they established that he was to be the man of the house. Black was under pressure. He held the world on his shoulders, but he carried an optimistic outlook and happy-go-lucky demeanor. Nobody was aware of the stress he felt. The conversation ended with Charlemagne stating, Do not forget the little people, now that you made it. Next stop was an appearance on the Joe Budden podcast. Usually, Budden commentates on trends and reviews new music. In this case, he wanted to meet Black up close and personal. The rumors and commotion were too loud to ignore. The crew made a joke, I heard you're dating Taylor Swift. That was quick. Black laughed and said, I guess you're still rapping, Joe. We are good friends. She will make a few appearances on my tour. Budden mentioned, So what made you come across the pond? Are you trying to copy Beatles mania? Be cautious. Americans do not just accept the Brits as easily as in the past. You have to come with that heat. Jason described that English music is great music. We have a lot of inspiration and support from Americans because most of our influence comes from the United States. Joe said, Just keep it real. A live television demonstration at the Ellen Show was silly and fun. She made Jason Black make a prank call to Travis Scott. Scott was prepared to make guest features in his album and tour. Black said, I am looking for Jacques Berman Webster, too. Travis replied, Speaking, is this a fake social security call? I am hanging up. Black pretended to scam him, asking for his date of birth and other personal information. Travis was upset. Black pulled his bluff and stated, It's Jason. I am on the Ellen DeGeneres show. I miss you, brother. They laughed and rejoiced. The crowd at the show was entertained. Ellen asked Black several questions regarding future projects. Jason mentioned, I have my tour, album, merchandise, and it will follow a release of a visual recording of my tour that will be displayed in movie theaters. Thank you. Chapter 3, Tour. In preparation of the tour, Jason Black viewed the reviews of his premiere album. Overall, the ratings were good. One of his singles, Love, made it number one on Billboard. He believed it was the best to start with this song during his campaign. Under pressure, Black drank liquor, smoked potent marijuana, and swallowed pills. In the morning, Adderall, and in the evening, painkillers. His entourage and team did not condone this behavior, but supported it. They would ensure he had all substances available for performances and meetings. His friends were dependent on him and realized to make things move smoothly, his necessities must be in reach at all times. Black managed these substances with perfect timing so the general public was unaware of his abuse. The tour would start in London, England and end there. He wanted to be a hometown hero and demonstrate support for his core audience. The remainder of his tour would be in the United States, Canada, and other parts of Europe. 
Black and the main part of his crew took shots the night before the beginning of the tour. Jason stated, Let us embark on this journey together and reap what we sow. The team cheered and all embraced the liquor. The first tour date in London was ecstatic. He played the majority of his album. The crowd rejoiced. Black was not sober to deal with the anxiety. Jason performed excellent dance moves and the audience sang along. It was sold out. Everybody from his childhood appeared. His family was proud. Long-lost friends and old girlfriends embraced the concert. The tour consisted of 30 dates. There was massive commercial success. Stints in Los Angeles, New York City, Dallas, Chicago, Paris, Vancouver, Berlin, etc. Around the 20th date in Miami, Black was exhausted and fainted on stage. There was a lot of attention and worry with his fans. His team decided to cancel the remaining tour dates. The plan was to release the footage of the tour as a movie in theaters and provide a meaningful apology. The media suggested malice rumors of laziness and bad practices. This led to a certain level of depression by Black. Regardless, any news is good news nowadays. Tickets for his movie and apparel were sold out. Chapter 4. Jaded Jason Black resided in Los Angeles, California. From the advance of his introductory record deal, he bought a home. The artist communicated and shared his space with his team. At this point in time, Black was still addicted to the lifestyle of the rich and famous. He developed a routine of self-medication and fun with groupies. The tour movie reached cult acclaim. To celebrate, Black went for a drive to get fresh air. He drove reckless in his Ferrari under the influence. Jason received a DUI and it was covered by TMZ. There were photos and videos of the arrest. Black's audience was disappointed by his misbehavior. He lost a lot of endorsement deals and it was a downward spiral. Jason had to attend rehabilitation and organize his life better. A few months later and in due time, Black was released. He realized there must be a change in his life. Jason started recording his second studio album, Hope. Chapter 5, Journey. The Hope Project would be his comeback story. He was finding the opportunity to be a real leader, to be part to share his ideas with merchandise, music, entertainment, and performances. Black signed an exclusive deal with Amazon for distribution. He decided to start this new journey in good faith. Jason focused his tour to solely be in the United Kingdom. Black was set to perform in Swansea, Liverpool, and all across the nation. With the support of his strongest fans, he believed anything was possible. The Wine Room by Irving Philip Eugene You decide, stated the man with the droopy leg once more. I listened to the vague sound of broken glass and stumbling steps on the banner in the corridor outside. The door screeched on its edges as a second old man set foot in, more crippled, more undesirable, more ancient even than the original. He was assisted by a prop. His eyes were dark and without life. His lips were disfigured and stained by wine. His teeth were yellow and poorly managed. He made his way to an archaic Windsor chair. He sat on the opposite side of the wooden table. The aged man was graceless and began to wheeze. The man with the droopy leg gave the interloper a sharp stare of detest. A mature lady paid no attention of his entrance but maintained her gaze on the television. I mentioned, it's your own resolve, stated the guy with the droopy leg, when the wheezing had stopped for a moment. You decide, I replied. The man with the dark eyes realized I was present for the first time and relaxed his head back for a short period of time. He made sure to take a glimpse of me. Our eyes matched for a split second. His eyes were tiny and deranged. Soon he wheezed and expelled phlegm. How come you do not enjoy the drink? stated the guy with the droopy leg. 
enticing me with a glass of wine. The old fellow with the dark eyes presented a full glass as his hands trembled. The wine would partially spill on the crafted table. A magnificent silhouette of him bent upon the partition and demonstrated his movements as he emerged and drank. I must tell you I had rarely thought of these nasty custodians. To me there is something unfavorable about feebleness, something distorted and passé. The normal conditions appear to be removed from prehistoric individuals unconsciously over time. All of them created an inappropriate atmosphere with their mythical stillness, their crouched demeanor, their known hastiness to everyone. And that evening, probably, my temperament was acceptable of unbearable suspicion. I was determined to be removed from their indefinite presage of the bad things below. I stated, On condition that you will exhibit to me this unearthly room of yours, I will live there. The wise man who wheezed pushed back his head so abruptly that it scared me, and the appearance of a stare from his bloodshot eyes directly towards me out of his inky darkness, there was no response. I sat tight, looking from one to another. The mature lady gazed her eyes similar to a corpse into the TV with no emotion. I exclaimed, You should show me this wine room so that you are not obligated to spend time with me. The old man with the droopy leg expressed that, If you observe the door, there is a light beside it. The guy proclaimed, You should not go tonight. With a silent murmur, the mature lady whispered, Tonight is a dreadful night. Will you attempt this task? I replied. I am not afraid. I can go at this moment. How do I arrive there? The best route is to take the path towards the corner stairs, he said it in a shady fashion. Once you reach downstairs, through the creaky steps, pass one door and on the left is a second entrance shielded by a blue curtain. Venture on through and down the narrow passageway to the end, and the wine room is on your right down the staircase. I repeated the commands to ensure no error. I think I got it. He was amused and verified the directions. Are you sure this is what you wish to do? stated the dark-eyed man, viewing me repeatedly with that peculiar and unsatisfied disposition in his face. The mature lady mentioned, Tonight is a dangerous night. I replied, That is what I intend to do. I made my way towards the door. As I positioned myself, the ancient man with the dark eyes and was clumsy around the table, it seemed to be next to the others by the television. At the entryway, I turned and viewed them. It appeared that they were all aligned together, dim by the television, glaring at me over their shoulders, with an aimed purpose over their archaic faces. I stated, see you later, entering the door. You decide, whispered the man with the droopy leg. The door peered open until the TV was shining, and then I left their presence and stumbled down the cold hall. I thought to myself that it was weird of these three ancient characters presided in this dwelling. The relic furniture they gathered at perplexed me as I attempted to remain calm. They seemed to be reminiscent of the past, traditional and ancient. It resembled the time in which spirituality and fables were profound and respected. Things resembled dark fairy tales and old curses, a place where stories of vampires and werewolves seemed plausible. The setting was ghouling and creepy. The decorations in the room were ghostly. There was images of lost men in a haunted world. The hall was cold and dirty. The area was dim and only slightly lit by my phone. I heard sounds and whispers of an unknown source. There appeared to be distorted shadows and strange movements behind me. There was frantic paranoia that would halt to silence as I passed down the staircase. I made my way through the blue curtain and was alone with my thoughts in the creepy hallway. Nothing was as it seemed. In a dazzling haze from the moonlight, 
There was a glitter of light directed through the glass windows to the steps. The setting was dimly lit at the dark setting. Everything appeared to be organized. The abandoned location looked as if it was inhabited moments ago. There were lit lamps that made the settled dust visible. No sound was made. The calmness felt grave. I persisted, then ceased to move. A shadow fell over me as I witnessed something lurking around the corner. It was a red presence that quickly dissolved as soon as it was noticed. This brought chills down my spine. It felt as if someone or something was breathing down my neck. I was rigid with nerves. The background contrasted with bright paneling against dark floors. I proceed only to address a porcelain relic of an elephant, perhaps of ancient Indian influence in dear miniature statue. They shined by the moonlight. As I searched around, I bear witness to an artifact coyote on a console table. It was dignified yet appeared out of place. The entrance to the wine room and the path to it were tenebrous. I mobilized the light from my cell phone across the area to view the setting. I contemplated the purpose of this jilted cellar in the corner of this residence. I imagined the history and memory that lie upon this forsaken room. This developed to anxiety for the fear of the unknown. I took one last gander of the ornaments that surrounded me. Placing my focus on the coyote relic, I felt strange remorse. Nonetheless, I peeked through the door of the wine room. Nothing could be identified. It was pitch black and vast. With swiftness, I completely opened the door, entered and closed the door behind me. I was reminded of the past people who have lived and died here. They could have been renowned idols or tormented souls. There was a superstitious story of a husband who played cruel jokes on his wife and in return one day after years of harassment murdered her husband in cold blood. Furthermore, there were rumors of a celebrity who owned this establishment for quite some time and would enjoy the best wines. He would invite guests from around the world to taste the splendid drink. They would discuss the remarkable experiences of life. Until one day, whether to a bad batch or careless over-drinking, died of unrevealed causes. It made front-page news. Many were heartbroken and distraught. Nobody knows for a fact of the true cause of death. These walls have seen unspoken accounts. To relieve my fascination of the room, I began to inspect all corners. The cracked window, the dusty furniture, the discolored curtains. The wood within the cellar was sturdy and defined. I focused my attention on the mirrors. The decoration was in particular order. My reflection appeared terrible. To witness myself in the middle of this horrific room, the light from my cell phone reminded me that I was a guest from the future in this old and sacred cellar. I felt skittish. I knew I did not belong here. With some time, my thoughts became clear. The room seemed simple. I asked myself, how could ghosts and horrors be present here? I recollected of images of the three ancient figures above. The two old men and the mature lady were stamped in my brain. I considered the idea of wary people connected to this wine room. The moonlight and the lamp light danced across the room as if it was competing with the darkness. I felt naked and afraid. I started building confidence with the use of my phone. I was aware that it provided me light and I could capture any supernatural event. I began thinking to myself that if some sort of ghost or ghoul were to grace me with its presence, it would be documented. I could call for help. My phone provided comfort. In a strange world where the new mixed with the old, I was on the more advanced side. However, during my watch, I realized the smartphone is not perfect. I would monitor my features. I noticed my battery was running low. 
I could not be left alone here in the dark combating with this mysterious place. I ensured to place my phone on battery save mode to prevent unexpected things. In the back of my mind, I was weary. I was fully aware of the time that passed. Everything felt slow. Soon, several lamplights went dark. It was surprising. I did not know the cause of this event. The room had my full attention. I attempted to fix the lamps, but it was of no use. There was a shape of something in the shadows. Inimitably, I was afraid. I yelled, Go away! In a short period of time, as I attempted to fix the broken lamps, more became dim. In a berserk set of events, as I tried to fix the lamps, more became broken. I was in a frantic struggle to make the wine room safe as it became undone. I tripped on the rug and I hurt my arm. I grabbed one ancient bottle of wine in sudden terror. It had no statements to determine year or type. I would steal this relic to remind others of my brave trip. I could be remembered a hero. Suddenly the room became so dark that I was angry for taking this adventure. I ran with the bottle doing my best to escape this dungeon. I felt a battle between me and something lurking in the dark. It was overwhelming. I lost consciousness. When I was awake, I suffered multiple damages. My head was covered, my arm bloody, and feet uncomfortable. To my shock, there was the old man with the droopy leg taking care of me. I was confused and in a loss of words. The mature lady nurtured me. She applied medicine on my wounds. The aged men discussed with confidence as if they were stating facts. The old man with the dark eyes, now in a more amiable manner, stated, Do you believe that the wine room is dangerous? I replied, Yes, that wine cellar is haunted. These ancient figures appeared affectionate, as if all my preconceived notions were all paranoia. I described to these wise individuals that fear drives the mind insane. Being alone in that wretched room brings treacherous thoughts that expand the imagination. Available was the unidentifiable wine. I said, here's a souvenir of the fearful mind. We all shared the fruits of our labor and drank the red liquid from the wine room. We prayed that the wine would help us forget the dark fear that lurks in all of us. Age by Irving Philip Eugene Chapter 1. Birth It is the modern era of the year 2020. Under strange circumstances, a mother is giving birth to her child at home. The family knew this was unorthodox, but with the presence of COVID-19 and other personal beliefs by the mother, it was determined that their first child be born at home. Mr. and Mrs. Brown were perhaps too cautious, but some may consider that they were ahead of their time. It is possible that private births could become a trend for the future, a return to humble beginnings but with modern technology to ensure a baby's safe arrival to the world. The Browns were situated in traditional Virginia. They embraced people with Southern hospitality and supported familial entrepreneurship. Their history was rooted in tobacco farming. Initially, it was the system of sharecropping that cultivated into plantation work and skills. When freedom was attributed to the Brown family, they ambitiously focused their efforts to growing herbs and tobacco. They were notable in the small rural town and elevated to surmountable clout in present times. Mr. Philip Brown managed the plant distribution company. Socially and financially, he connected with North Bend, Virginia. He was associated with respected memberships and regarded clubs. Individuals would guarantee their best service in positive collaboration with the Brown family. Philip was busy at his office working as he expected his newborn child. His descendant would be the formidable heir to Philip Brown and company. Dr. Barrett followed correct medical ethics and techniques. He was reputable and possessed an established practice. It was on his ass if there were any issues. Mrs. Brown was in agony. 
The home birth was more difficult than expected. She was profusely sweating, tremoring, and in a great deal of pain. The nurses provided her medication, but it was of no use. It only dampened the inevitable. Mr. Brown received a disturbing call. The workers in his office heard a yell. This cannot be possible. Philip Brown rushed out of the building and drove home. At the residence, there was plenty of commotion and havoc. The doctor was distressed. As Mr. Brown arrived, he asked Barrett, How is my wife? The doctor replied in sadness, She is no longer with us. Mr. Brown, with anger, stated, How can this be possible? Barrett attempted to explain in inappropriate medical jargon. Brown yelled, Are you even a real doctor? Barrett, withholding dispute in a calm demeanor, stated, The pain of birth was just too much for her. If we had access to the hospital equipment, perhaps... Mr. Brown ceased the discussion. My baby, is it a boy or a girl? Is it healthy? Dr. Barrett, in slight confusion, responded, It is a boy by all means, and he is slightly yellow. With the care of light through a machine, he could be in full... Again, Mr. Brown halted the conversation. I heard of such things before. I believe with the natural nursing through the sun outside, my beloved son will be just fine. Barrett made no rebuttal. The doctor, now in irritation and remorse, said, Your wife was strong and beautiful. My full apologies for the situation. There are cases when mothers are unable to perform natural childbirth. Philip Brown ignored the doctor's statement. All attention was on his amber son. The father held his child with great care. He kissed his forsaken wife, carried his newborn baby to the magnificent backyard, and the golden boy basked in the ambience of sunlight. Mr. Brown was solemn. The nurses and Dr. Baird monitored the deceased Mrs. Brown. They took responsible actions concerning the corpse and what medical equipment that was present at the home. Everything was quiet. There was a certain disposition displayed by Mr. Brown. It seemed that the father and son would embark on their journey together alone. Chapter 2 Midlife Crisis The boy, now a blackish brown, was healthy. His name was Philip Brown II. It has only been a month, and it appeared as if he aged a year. By a real year, it seemed he would be twelve. Mr. Brown was astonished. He did not know what to do or what the cause of this abnormality was. At this pace, Brown Jr. would be walking out the door on his own accord. The father consulted the best doctors in the state of Virginia. No medical professional could explain this predicament. He wondered if his son would be dead before himself. As Mr. Brown predicted in a year's time, Junior was an adolescent. He was unable to have any suitable friends as he aged past them. Junior was intelligent but awkward. He had to adapt to social scenarios and cues with little time to adjust. Junior was now self-aware of his condition. He realized that he did not fit into traditional lifestyle of many. School was strange as time and grades leaped. At a certain point, it was more accommodating to have private tutoring and education. Junior's mind aged at the same rate as his body, therefore he contemplated many grand ideas. He thought whether or not he should decipher the meaning of his disease or enjoy the path paved for him as heir to the Brown Company. The attempt for girls appeared strange as he was hot-blooded but had little to relate or experiences to share with the opposite sex. Mr. Brown decided one day to send and fund Junior on a cross-country trip to live a life worth living in whatever short period of time he had left. He would travel from state to state. At the ripe age of 18, he attended school in Connecticut for four months, or four years. Next, at 22 years of age, he would travel to Florida to enjoy fun in the sun, swimming and meeting new people at popular attractions. Three months later, in Las Vegas, Nevada, learning the ins and outs of gambling, 
accepting and tolerating a good drink. He opened his eyes to an adult audience. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. From the four months between the ages of 26 and 30 years old, he would explore the Golden Coast with quick intermissions to New York City, establishing bi-coastal connections for his father's business. At this stage of his life, he had to mix business with pleasure. At the prime age of 30 years old, he found himself in middle America. Two months, two years, being welcomed to the Midwest. Financial prowess of Chicago and a brutal winter that he was not accustomed to. There he matched with his first true girlfriend, Republic Tobacco heiress Cameron. They would engulf themselves in nature for two months, one month in Montana and the second month in Wyoming. They were free. Cam introduced Junior to marijuana. It seemed to help him with his ailments of rapid aging, or at least provided a forgetfulness to the ultimate end awaiting him. Now in his mid-thirties, Junior was set to marry Cam back home in Virginia. Cam connected with Brown Sr. They discussed the challenge it would be to manage Junior as he aged by the day. Cameron accepted that responsibility and claimed her love for Junior. Brown and Republic Tobacco would merge. With Junior and Cameron bound by business and love, they started to plan for better business. The two decided to add marijuana to their tobacco distribution. It would be a long journey due to certain laws, but they would lobby for better rules and expand wherever possible. They would have a daughter named Daisy. She was their pride and joy. Now Junior was approaching 50 years old as his wife was a youthful 27. Things seemed dreary as Junior and Senior were relatively the same age, but the family found humor in the situation. It was as if the father and son were the same person, as they put it. Chapter 3, Death As the year passed with the family together sharing moments in history, Junior aged a decade. Now he was suffering from Alzheimer's disease. Aging is wicked. He was a shell of a man. He managed his life by consuming the herbs of their crops until the day of his death. He loved Daisy, Cam, and Senior. In the end, Senior, Grandpa, would do his best to care for the family as their beloved Junior passed away. Even today, nobody understands Junior's condition. It is believed to be a legend. However, Daisy is proof that Junior was alive during those seven remarkable years. Adam's Journal by Irving Philip Eugene It was the Sabbath. It has been a few moments since I have been alive. Life has been grand for this one day. Life seems to be like a dream. I must make the most of my time. On this day forth, I will document my experiences as they appear to be noteworthy. I do not the purpose of my existence, but it is special to share. I do not know what I am supposed to do. I realize there is good and evil in this world. I assume I should be moral. I feel as of I am a main attraction. At this early stage of life, I will make a proclamation to be virtuous. This is an extravagant rule, but it is best to shoot for the stars. The sun always seems to be perfectly bright. The night is marvelous with spread stars and a full moon. This universe is organized in flawless manner. Each day this world appears to display a more exemplary beauty. I am unaware whether it is art or this is the condition of life. The grass is fresh. The trees are bountiful. I feel embraced. I have no say in the matter of this world. I appreciate the vision. Nature is magnificent. I would not know what to do if the sun would disappear during the day. And the moon, it is bold. Without it, the night could be completely dark. It is a gift to have the night shine over me. The stars are majestic. It is mystical how they decorate the sky. I do not know what they are made of. I reach but can never attain one for myself. I would provide one to Eve if she could hold on to these lights. I have no clue if they are stagnant or rapidly moving. 
It exists as glory from a higher power. I witnessed strange animals. Tigers with stripes were beautiful. They were harmless as they enjoyed blueberries. I searched for ambiance. The planet appeared as a pretty orb spinning with the lights. It was impossible to capture the picture for myself. I was tired as I hunted for stars. I could only view the cosmos stretched a far distance. I noticed Eve would cherish the tiger for, for clothing. The design was special. I observed a woman. She possessed healthy breasts, bountiful hips for birth, longer hair than me. She shined in nature. It appeared as a reptile with soft skin, bright eyes, and mischievous character. The woman was gathering fruits. I could smell her nurturing fragrance from afar. I could tell she was trouble. I was fearful at first, but I could not ignore my attraction to her. I realized I was in no direct danger. She was weaker in physique, but seemed intelligent in her collection of berries. It was the Lord's Day, Sunday, was not established for rest. It was the Sabbath in which one found comfort. The lady was never calm. She was always attentive and focused. She appeared to be maddening if I were to commit my time with her, always on the venture for something better. I noticed the woman appreciated the little creatures. She fed swimming fishes in the water. She often cleansed herself with the water. I had no care for those things. My heart was silent as I watched her. It appeared that the moon would rise at night and be replaced by the sun in the morning. Perhaps this is the daily cycle. I was interested, but the world has so much to offer. It is best to bask in its glory. The woman would care to the land, involving herself where she did not belong. I paid certain things no attention as I believed it was of no concern. If God has granted me peace, I would do my best to maintain it. One thing I witnessed was speech. The woman spoke with affection and emotion, although I noticed she could be brash with her words. Nonetheless, it was astonishing to hear speech by another. I was afraid of conversation as it looked. She could talk all day. I am a man of few words. I mention want, I see, and tend to be the most of it. However, she would share every moment. I am unaware if I could tolerate such behavior. Next week, I noticed the woman following me around. She was very observant of me. I was timid. She included me in her world, and I was grateful for the experience. Wednesday. At first, I must admit that I disregarded her. When she connected with me too often, I was overwhelmed. As she demonstrated her value, I appreciated her more with each moment shared together. We started to build a healthy relationship. Recently, as we stroll along, she is confident in naming all creatures. I have an idea of its presence, but I'm not bold enough to make a statement. I respect her skill in providing accurate information, for if it were all left to me, things would be less efficient. Life is easy going with her when she makes the effort to detail in conversation. I feel important when I have a woman in my possession. A bird was in our area. She was quick in determining its presence. She knew of its nature immediately. She was not cocky in her beliefs. In most cases, I agreed with her. I was glad to have a companion. I let her make claims and would protect her. Thursday. I needed some space from her. I liked her, but she was demanding. Consistent talk became staggering. I was not upset, but indifferent to the whole situation. I just wanted the freedom to be alone for some time. The woman approached me at night at my new dwelling that I created. She seemed needy. I calmly demanded of her to leave me alone. 
The woman at this moment appeared as an aching wound. Sunday. I have enjoyed my time in space alone. I was now welcome to the woman. I paid the previous dilemma no mind. The woman wanted to attain the forbidden apple. I did not like this decision. She was becoming a burden. I warned her not to, but she did not listen well. She attempted and failed. Monday. She told me her name. I do not remember what it was. Her name holds no value to me. She is constantly seeking attention. This is a characteristic I do not want to indulge of her. I do not talk much, especially if I have nothing notable to mention. On the other hand, she sees it important to mention any and every event. I do not see this as stupidity, but ignorant. She is naive. I have a decent vocabulary, but have no need to portray it. At moments, I share with her my skill in dialogue. It appears to not be enough. Nothing is enough for her. I detect that she is obsessed with her reflection by the water. Often she goes to the water and looks at her reflection. I do not know the meaning of this. It appears vain. I prefer my time to relax on the ground or build something. I only want necessities from the bounty the Lord has offered me. I appreciated my time alone. The profound experience of silence. Time to explore my thoughts were worthy. However, she tends to be consumed by attention. She never wants to be alone. I do not know if I can provide for her everything she wishes, as every day she seems to want more. Tuesday. I relaxed by the grace of God, working the land when it seemed fit. I believe paradise comes if I mind my business and appreciate God. My needs are simple. It looked as if she enjoyed the play in nature. She likes flowers and dresses herself in garments. She accepts the rain by roaming in it. All of this seems odd to me. I prefer the coziness of my shelters. Nature, albeit beautiful, can offer harm if one does not combat the ailments. It appears as she does not think of the next day, only living each day with no thought of tomorrow. I spotted fire. I acknowledged its heat. It could be helpful. Also, I was aware that its fierceness could be dangerous. I respected this duality. The woman only embraced its pettiness. She would make ignorant decisions to play with it. In one incident, she burned her finger. I said nothing. She knows better to not play with fire. She took credit for the discovery, but was brash in playing with it. She spread the flames. It wreaked havoc more than good. It was interesting, but I could not provide any immediate use for it. She was weirdly attracted to the smoke and fire. She consumed baked apples curated by the fire. Friday. She approached me with this new discovery called fear. She describes it as the opposite of happiness, the bringer of grief and despair. I claimed her to be too worrisome. Fifty years later, if one of us was to be lost, I would hope it is me, for I have no real care for the world. I am glad to simply exist. I only bear witness to God. Eve demonstrates wonder and compassion. She portrays this idea of love. Eve offers imagination to an already complete universe.